0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andrew Mensel. Joining me, as ever, is Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you?
1: Buoyant, Mensel. Buoyant. I've just seen a Steve Smith century live, and it gives me a feeling of superiority, which is totally um, unjustified because actually, it wasn't me batting at all, but yet I still walk around. I think I'm going to walk around the city today and look at everyone. You didn't see a Steve Smith Century Live, but I did, so I feel a bit superior.
0: Yeah, I was pretty happy to be in the commentary box. So while Smith brought up his done, so for those of you are listening, just to set the scene... Paul and I are in a little TV studio room at the SCG. It's lunchtime here in the Sheffield Shield Clash that we're commentating on. And we thought uh, it was an opportune moment to record an episode of the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. So in today's show, we're going to wrap up the international T20s that happened, despite all reports. We're going to look at the week's cricket headlines. And then we're going to wrap this baby up with the cricket social media segment. But let's get straight into it. We're at the SCG. The pitch has been flat, slow and lifeless. Paul, what are your thoughts?
1: My thoughts are firstly, there's a danger in doing this at this stage of the of the day because by the time that the day is finished, there might be 15 wickets fall um, <laughs> and then it'll be hailed as one of the all-time great pitches. But on what we've seen so far in four sessions, um, it does seem slow and it does seem as though it's not offering enough for the bowlers. And there's been a bit too much of this, not just in Sydney, um, and not even especially in Sydney, but in Melbourne in recent years as well, where my great concern is when you get um, 80000 at the MCG or 40000 at the SCG paying big money to watch Test cricket and you get a low score, you get a low slow pitch and a slow day's play, that's a brand destroyer for cricket. And I think that... Pitch pitch preparation in this country needs to be a real focus and we need to make sure we have sufficient bounce and sufficient pace to make it worth watching.
0: Yeah, and this has been an issue at uh, the Sydney Cricket Ground for the last few years that's flowed into the Test Match pitch. My issue is there's, the pitch is neither here nor there. There's not enough spin for the spinners. There's nothing for the quick bowlers. There's no pace coming on for the batsmen. So you're not really seeing attractive stroke plays It's just a dour, lifeless wicket. And we've discussed the issue of should there be a drop-in pitch at the SCG before, Paul? And I've actually done a... What do you do when you change your mind? Is it a 180 or a 360? I think given you were so strong
1: strongly opposed to it this is more like a 540.
0: Well then I've done a 540 I've turned around one and a half times and I've decided they can rip this bloody pitch up now. I do not (laughs) care. Uh, Whatever they need to do, they need to make it better. So whether it's rip it up and put a new square in, maybe this square's old and and seen its best days and it's dead now because it's just not working. So rip it up and either put in a drop-in pitch or put in a new square because it's not working and, you know, there was 500 people here for the first day of the Sheffield Shield and they all left because the cricket was so boring. So that's not what this uh, city needs. It's not what cricket needs. And, you know, this MCG and the SCG, the two premier grounds in the country, are struggling to produce good pictures. It's a huge concern.
1: I agree. And I think if you go... Do you
0: agree they should rip it out?
1: Well, one, one thing that I think is amusing is that no one's saying... Oh, the pitch is no good. We crave a drop-in, except you all of a sudden. Um, I don't think a drop-in necessarily will be the answer to a better wicket because what we've seen in in Melbourne hasn't been so good, although uh, Perth and Adelaide have seemed to do better. I just think it needs to be an absolute priority. I know nothing about pitch preparation, but I do know that in years gone by, the SCG was in many ways the best pitch in the world. Enough speed in it for the quicks. Uh, enough opportunity for the batsman to score runs, and then there was um, that famous spin towards the end of the the, the match, and so. Uh, We do just want to get back to that uh, in all grounds, having more attractive cricket.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure it's the groundsman, the square. Whatever it is, I say rip it out and start again. So, uh, yeah, bring the bulldozers in. All right, now, (laughs) let's get to the T20 series. Australia smashed Pakistan in the final T20 to win the series 2-0. They finished their six matches against Pakistan and Sri Lanka 5-0 up in that final game. Warner was 48, not out. Finch 52, not out. They chased down a target of 107. Very easily, and uh, the
1: interesting tweet from QuickViz, Paul. Yeah, the QuickViz analyst sent out a tweet saying that Australia will end 200- two thousand and nineteen with a one hundred percent incompleted T Twenty internationals, having won all seven of their matches, and that no side has been able to do that. Um, has been able to do more than that in history, although Afghanistan also won seven out of seven in twenty eighteen. So, uh, for the much maligned Australian T Twenty international, a magnificent effort in two thousand and nineteen, and hopefully it. August, well, not just for the 2020 World Cup, but for the 2021 World Cup. They've got back-to-back T20 World Cups coming up.
0: Now Paul we shift focus away from the Aussie T20 side now to the Australian test team soon the the squad for the first test against Pakistan will be announced and it, it's really come down to two spots being available in the Australian batting lineup Warner, Loberchain, Smith and Wade seem to be locked in so there's a spot at the top of the order and a spot in the middle order who would you pick for those two final
1: batting spots? I would still continue with Usman Kawaja. I think that he's a better batsman than Joe Burns, and I think he's a better batsman than Marcus Harris. And I think that I would like him to be opening the innings. And I'd probably give Pekovsky a go. I, I'm keen to see what a young guy can do. And um, I, I'd probably give him the nod just slightly over Travis Head. How about you, Menes?
0: Well, uh, I'd go Joe Burns to open the batting and. I did think Will Pekofsky at six um, was a really good option. I would go Travis Head because I think that he uh, has started his test career well. He's averaging over 40, and I'd just like to get him back in the side. Will Pekofsky could do with it some more experience at first-class level before the call-up. Uh, it was an interesting article in the Daily Telegraph. Uh, some Crickviz stats basically illustrated that Joe Burns he's one of the unluckiest cricketers in history that not since the 1920s has a player been dropped with the ratio of 400 in 16 test matches so I think Joe Burns deserves another crack
1: yeah look I think that I firstly want to acknowledge that you were right and I was wrong back about the Ashes. You were furious that Joe Burns was not in the squad, and I was ambivalent towards it. But I think now looking back on it, um, just having a right-hander in there at the top of the order, I think it would have been the right thing to do. So um, thumbs up to you there. But Thank I st- you. But Acknowledged. I st- Acknowledged. <laughs> but I still maintain that although I think Joe Burns is a very decent cricketer, I think when you cherry-pick a statistic like that, then you're asking for trouble. Because you can cherry-pick another one. You can say, well, compare him with Marcus North. North, 35 test innings, 500s. Burns twenty eight test innings four hundreds exactly the same one in seven yet no one was saying that North was one of the unluckiest cricketers ever and the reason for that is is because he's a big nom- listener to the podcast hello Marcus G'day Marcus but no but we have a better stat than percentage of hundreds especially on a, on a low sample size and that stat is batting average and when you look at Mark at um, Joe Burns he has a test average of forty point one he has a first class average of forty point five that is a very fine record. But it's not, it's not a record that says you're not good enough for test cricket, but it's not a record that's screaming down to say he must play test cricket. Someone like David Hussey or uh, Brad Hodge, uh, who had higher averages than that, I think have probably been unluckier than Joe Burns. But I'd be more than happy for him to be picked in the, in the first test. I'd probably go for Kawaja, but I could live with Burns for sure.
0: All right, listeners, So I've gone Burns and head... Dennett has gone Kowaja and Pekowski. By the next podcast, we will see which of the selectors agrees with us. Interesting, in the last week, Paul, I did a Periscope video that illustrated my first Test 12, and this was before Nick Madenson was unavailable for the Australia A-game. So when I did the Periscope video, I had Maddison opening instead of Burns, and then I looked through my Periscope app, and I see one of the viewers to my video was Joe Burns. <laughs> After every second video, calling for him to be in the Ashes squad, flown over for the Ashes, parachuted <laughs> into the fifth Test. Doesn't watch any of those videos, but he watches the one video where i drop him so yeah that was a, a rough week so joe if you're listening uh you're in my team now all right uh, that's our first segment done after the break we'll be back with all the cricket headlines i just want to ask you go to your app now and rate and review this podcast for paul and i <laughs> Here's Agar, the number 18 around the wicket now into Smith. He uses his feet and smashes that down the ground. High and handsome, and it's gone all the way for six. Well, Smith has taken the long handle to Agar. You play that beautifully over the offside, and that's the first real aggressive shot from Smith where he's looked to take on the spinners. Great stuff. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Manners, Of course, I'm here with Paul. And it's now time to get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts, our new sponsor. All right. So uh, I mentioned uh, the Test 12 before that. So since the last podcast, Paul, Nick Manson is taking a break uh, from cricket. Uh, just uh, on the back of what happened to Glenn Maxwell, this is something that needs to be addressed. I see Shane Watson was very vocal um, with the Australian Cricketers Association saying that mental health in cricketers is a very important issue and this just underlines that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, as with Glenn Maxwell, we wish him all the best and um, hope that... Uh, He's feeling um, in the frame of mind to play cricket again soon, but obviously his mental health is the most important thing.
0: Now, England and New Zealand played a deciding fifth T Twenty game on the weekend, and it, it ended up it ended up being an eleven over game because of the rain. And can you believe that, that in in the same? thing that happened in the 50-over World Cup. The scores were tied at the end of the 11 overs, and they had to play super over. This time, though, England decisively won the super over, scoring 17, New Zealand just scoring 8 in reply. But it was a bit of a World Cup final replay, a crucial deciding game decided by uh, a super over and after a tied result. So you just wouldn't read about it. But what stood out to me is England actually are putting together a pretty handy T20 team.
1: Yeah, when you said that, I thought, oh, um, I'll, I'll ask people from England what they think their their side would be if the if the World Cup was on tomorrow. And I got lots of lovely replies and roughly um, an 11 might look something like Besto, Roy, Milan, Morgan, Stokes, Butler, Sam Curran, Jordan, Archer, Tom Curran, Rashid. That means that Root wouldn't make it, but they also mentioned Ali and Banton, Denley, Billings and others. And I look at that 11 that I just read out, and my confidence about Australia being the out and out favourites for this World Cup has evaporated somewhat because I realise that is a powerful lineup. That batting lineup is classy and powerful. There's plenty of big hitting, there's a, a nice leg spitting option in there, there's some lower order power as well, some decent bowling. I think if that went up against the Australian top 11 in Australian conditions right now, I'd be sort of saying Australia's fifty five percent chance of winning England forty five percent chance. You just give it the Australia the nod over the home with the home ground. You factor India in as well, I think they will be one of the favorites, and it's gonna be the same three that kind of dominated the the World Cup, albeit New Zealand did make the final, but they were the the three that really dominated the, 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 the tournament look like they'll probably dominate this twenty twenty World Cup in a year's time. Yeah, I agree with you. England looking good.
0: All right. Now, Paul, the incredibly popular indian cricket team will be out again in australia next summer for four test matches now two of those are locked in the mcg and the scg but there's a a battle brewing between between the states about who will host those other two very lucrative test matches with india where do you think those two games
1: should go well I think we should have another three games. We should be saying, let's have a five-test series against India. But if it's only going to be four, if you're only interested in Australia winning, you'd go with the Gabba. But, you know, Cricket Australia have to make some difficult corporate decisions. And at the moment, the Gabba has slipped into fifth place in terms of... um, Facilities. Yeah. And you look at... Um, are you really going to pick the Gabba over either Adelaide or Perth with brand spanking new stadiums with higher uh, capacity for people and generally probably a greater propensity to turn up than than the people from Brisbane as well. So I think at this stage, the Gabba is probably likely to to miss out, which would be a great pity as well, Uh, particularly if the pitch up there um, ends up being one of the better ones.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point you make about you know whether you look at winning the game or whether you look at sort of the crowd and what uh, revenue you can generate. I would like to see Adelaide part of that series, but I think we should start in Brisbane. I think after India came out here on the last tour and won their first ever test series in Australia, we should start off at the Gabba and try and sneak a 1-0 lead in the series because it's going to be vital. They'll come full of confidence after their win last summer. Of course, we've got Smith and Warner back, but they'll be a difficult prospect. So I think if we can get a slight advantage at the Gabba, we should
1: take it. I think that uh, hopefully, as an Australian cricket fan, last summer will prove to be an anomaly. I think Australia will start as heavy favourites, and I think they'll beat India. Um, I think that Smith and Warner's return make an enormous difference, but our bowling attack, I know it's probably the same personnel but I think they're firing more now than they have been in the past so I think India are going to be up against it to beat us again anytime soon in Australia those could be um, proven to be very unwise words but that's what I think let's move on to the final segment of the cricket headlines the women's big bash league has
0: been absolutely motoring along here in Australia the world's Premier women's cricket competition, and after, well, I would say just over halfway in the tournament, you've got basically six of the eight teams all within two points of each other. Adelaide Strikers are on top on 10 points, but then basically all the other teams are between 10 and 8 points. So there's no one really breaking away from the pack. So it's going to be a a thrilling finish. There were two last ball uh, thrillers on Saturday, the Renegades v. the Hurricanes and the Strikers v. the Scorchers. I was at a grand final rematch on Saturday where the Sydney Sixers were smashed by the Brisbane Heat. It was an incredible performance by the Heat. They... Kept the sixes to 123 and never looked in trouble. But the moment of the weekend was Sophie Devine for the Adelaide Strikers. Hit five sixes in the last over of the Strikers' innings to push their total to four for 164 and relegated the Melbourne Stars to another loss. But yeah, Paul, it uh, just keeps on going, the Women's Big Bash League. I've been loving it.
1: So you'd probably be of the opinion that the Uh, the decision to move it to its own October window is a success or would you uh, how do you feel about that
0: I think it's an incredible success Uh, there's so many factors that come into it but it has clear air on the TV you know some of the Women's Big Bash League games have outrated the Australian T20 games of course they're on uh, behind a paywall, whereas the, the Women's Bash, Big Bash League isn't. But it's been fantastic. It's, it sort of reminds me a bit of in the old days when they'd have the old men's one-day domestic cup at the beginning of yes. the season, and that had a real sort of month where that was the main cricket to watch. I feel like the Women's Big big Bash League can sort of, sort of fill that slot leading into the summer. And I also note that I heard the New Zealand cricketers saying that, you know, it's great for them because they can play in this – tournament, the Women's Big Bash League, and then go back and play in the New Mm. Zealand domestic women's competition. So it's helping the game.
1: Yeah. I agree, and I think that I've been talking before how how cricket needs to make sure that it expands its season and doesn't allow itself to be elbowed out at the at both ends and talking about fighting for February and maybe that's a harder sell than fighting for October where, yeah, there's the Spring Carnival and there is um, the A-League on but really there is still a lull in Australian sports so if the, if the Women's Big Bash can build on this in, in the coming years and really own that month in the calendar, uh, well that six weeks in the calendar and then it's uh, going to be fantastic for, for not just women's cricket but for, for all cricket.
0: Yeah, the game I went to at North Sydney Oval on Saturday afternoon had about 1,700 spectators which is pretty good uh, for, you know, Saturday afternoon on a game that wasn't covered or televised, just all the locals coming down. So, yep, stick with it. I think in a few years it's going to be one of the strongest competitions in the land if it's not already there. I agree. Okay, well, coming up after the break, the cricket social media segment.
1: Welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast and the cricket social media segment. Now, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, please do send us any interesting tweets or Instagram posts that you see. We're still not yet on TikTok, but we're dangerously close to being there. I've been practicing my dance moves. (laughs) And uh,
0: yeah, also, I'd love to hear your feedback on some of the guests we've had, some of the interviews. Let us know which ones you loved, which ones you didn't. Uh, Yeah, just send us some feedback on that as well.
1: So as to the social media itself, Channel 7 has released an ad and many of you have probably seen it on actual free-to-air TV. But for those of you who are living overseas or those like me who don't watch a whole lot of free-to-air TV, I saw it on Twitter. It's an ad for this summer of cricket. I absolutely love it and I'm going to play uh, a section of it for you right now.
0: Since Bradman, we've never seen anything like it. Then enter Don Bradman,
1: greatest batsman the world has known. Something like this only happens... Once in a lifetime. Steve Smith is the modern Don. Unstoppable. Unmissable. It's rare to experience something this
0: great as it happens.
1: There it is, he's done it! The stuff of boyhood dreams.
0: This summer, together, we can witness it, celebrate it and cheer
1: ...as Steve Smith attempts to rewrite history. He's going to etch his name into history here... Now, Menace, do you love that ad
0: as much as I do? No, I don't, actually. <laughs> I, I, I can't say that I've seen it on TV, so maybe I'm missing the visual effect of it. But it's lots of
1: old br- black and white footage yeah, of I'm Bradman. Like, is, this gonna, is this
0: going to get kids into test cricket? No. Is this going to get young people into test cricket? No. This is an ad for you or me, or the baby boomers, or the older generation.
1: It's not one aimed at the kids. But, yeah, that, that's my feeling on it. Last week on the podcast, we showed you the Crick Info. T20 international team of all time. Journalists and analysts Tim Wigmore and Freddie Wild have released a book where they've put in there their all-time top T2011, the subtle differences that they are taking into account performances in the franchise leagues as well. I think it's a pretty handy side, and it does have a, some Australians in it, which was uh, is a, a pleasant change. Here it is in batting order. Meners, what do you think of this? Chris Gale, David Warner, Shane Watson, A.B. de Villiers, Glenn Maxwell, Kyron Pollard, Andre Russell, Sunil Narain, Rashid Khan, Lasith Malinga and Jasprit Bumrah.
0: No arguments with that team. That is a fantastic T20 side. Power all the way down. Two great spinners, all-rounders. Yep, that team I would love to see in action one day. I mean, you could have all those players on the field
1: together. On Twitter recently, Football Australia sent out a tweet where they said football's place as the number one club-based participation sport in Australia has been confirmed with the release of the latest OzPlay survey by Sport Australia. And there's lots of figures in the report. And the one that just highlighted that I was interested in was they had um, the top 10 sports um, for children. So sports and activities that children participated in in Australia in the 2018 and 19 financial year uh, based in percentage terms. So swimming is number one, 37.3% of kids were involved in swimming. Cricket makes the list uh, in 10th place, and it's got 5.4% uh, of, people, of, of kids uh, having been involved in it. And some of the other sort of more classical competitors, football, 15.9%, Australian football, 9.0%, basketball, 7.7%, and uh, netball, 7.1%. And there are obviously a lot more below the top 10 that didn't make it. I'm actually quite heartened by that. I think cricket coming in 10th at 5.4% is pretty good. It's a tough sport to um, get into. You've got to get equipment. If you're not very good at cricket, it's very hard to enjoy, whereas you know, if you're not very good at soccer, everyone can have a bit of a kick. So I think at 5.4%, I think that reflects the fact that Cricket Australia has done a pretty good job of, um, of promoting the game. I agree. I just
0: think there's probably an element now where female participation is increasing and male participation is going down. So uh, I just wonder if that's a factor in these figures. But look, as long as people are playing cricket, I've got two young kids. It's not easy to get kids into cricket. And as you say, there's a lot of barriers with bats and equipment. It's not like a football where you can just go down to the park and start kicking it around. So, yeah, I think they're good figures.
1: The only concern is that of the top ten, if you look back to 2016-17 and compare it to the current figures, the other nine had all gone up, whereas cricket has slightly gone down from 6.0 to 5.4%. In any case, it shows that there's about 95% of the of the childhood population untapped in terms of um, uh, of playing some some regular cricket. So, plenty of upside potential there. Barry Nichols, um, a journalist on Twitter, I just happened to st- stumble across his pinned tweet, which was a photo of a letter that Don Bradman sent him in 1996. I might just read a little bit of this letter out because I On quite enjoy it. On the last
0: day of 1996, New Year's Eve, Don was
1: at his house typing out a letter. Well, that's what he was famous for, that he answered every letter. People sometimes refer to him as being a bit grumpy and whatever else, but he if you wrote him a letter, um, he replied. And I, one of my great regrets is that I never um, wrote him I a letter. I agree. What would we thinking? I know. Piers Morgan um, in England used to write him regularly as a kid, and um, he'd get responses. So I bet if uh, Bradman's turning in his grave right now. So, dear Barry, thank you for your most informative letter re info. I do not possess a computer, nor do I understand the working of one, and I am very—it's <laughs> really funny—the language in this letter. And I'm very ignorant re However, one of my publishers recently acquired the rights, i.e., the electronic rights, to one of my instructional works, and I gather it will be put on a CD-ROM. There must be a mountain of information available on the internet. In fact, a friend of mine recently gave me a printout on Bradman, which he claimed had then been accessed nearly six thousand times. I'm glad you visited the museum and found it interesting, and I hope you continue to enjoy your cricket writings. Yours sincerely, Don Bradman. Now, the point of that. Is just because I like Bradman, and he was 88 when he wrote that. He's very perceptive, like an 88 year old would be a bit of a technophobe, you
0: would think, but he was pretty onto it there, obviously not tech savvy himself, but he, you know, he worked out straight away that the internet will be a great source of information.
1: So for those of you who are in- accusing me of a gratuitous Bradman references, um, that one has absolutely no context whatsoever, so I admit that you probably got me there. Well, but it was a social media reference. True. he did a- find it on social media. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I enjoyed it, and I hope you did as well. And that's the end of the social media update.
0: And that's it for this episode of Cricket Unfiltered. You can find me at Amenas on Twitter or at Amenas Cricket on Instagram. That's A M E N N E R S at and Twitter and Instagram. And you, Paul, where can the listeners find you? Best place is Twitter at
1: the underscore summer underscore game.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, and we'll be back next week with another show.